This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. show today we are going into some great great stories some great conversations some great topics because today we are not shying away from what we need to be talking about we're not shying away from creating awareness and i'm also not shying away from some recent events that have really really been very very important for us to consider and also being topics of conversation in the christian community and that is why we are going there today it's lauren jacobs and you're tuning to k pulpit it's lovely to have you with me you know on the show i'm going to be joined by melissa hertz now melissa has been on the show many years ago and also her story of abortion is a powerful powerful story and a powerful testimony and you know what this last week we have seen a landmark decision being made in the United States Supreme Court which ruled that the US Constitution now has overturned this reality of abortion. Now what is it all about? We know Roe versus Wade or Roe v. Wade was a 1973 decision of the Supreme Court which ruled in the US that generally women had the liberty to have an abortion and states had different protocols for this you know up to how many weeks this could be how many months this could be but in effect 1973 granted women this liberty to have an abortion now almost 40 years later that decision has been overturned as i said and this has led to a recriminalization of abortion in nearly half of the united states it grants the states the fact the individual states the right to say do they want to restrict the procedure do they want to ban the procedure or is it just going to be allowed many states say okay yes we're going to allow abortion here others saying we're going to restrict or ban this and so we need to talk about this this decision has impacted christians in the united states but also many in many different countries around the world we are seeing this conversation also you know it's been had on social media so melissa is going to be joining me later on the show to talk about her opinion as someone who has had an abortion who is now a pro-life activist and also someone who's watching this conversation from the outside and also is going to challenge us as people of faith. But first on the show, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Liana Ulifir. And Liana is from the Foundation for Alcohol-Related Research. And we're going to get into what is FASD and what is FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome, which is something that we hear quite a lot about, but it's only one effect of FAS. And this is all going to be about, you know, how does alcohol affect our children when they are inside of our womb? What do mothers need to know? And you will be surprised to learn that South Africa has one of the highest highest rates of fetal alcohol syndrome and FASD in the world. And that is why this conversation is important. So stay tuned. It's Voice of Change. And Liana is with me after this. Liana, it's so good to have you with me today. Thank you for being here on Voice of Change and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an absolute honor to chat to you today. Thank you. And it's so important. I know that you and I were actually talking a bit off air before we started that we continue to raise awareness about alcoholism, the effects of alcoholism and and alcohol and just in itself on children, you know, and unborn children. Now, speaking of that, we often hear about FAS or FASD. Now, what exactly is that? And what's the difference between the two? 
Okay, Lauren, um, FASD is, uh, stands for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorders. So immediately we, one can hear that it's talk, uh, we're talking about more than one uh, problem. Mm -hmm. And a fetal alcohol syndrome, FIS, is one of the disorders in the spectrum of disorders. So quite often people refer to FIS or FAS um, mm -hmm. as the worst form of this condition. Um, but basically, uh, FISD is about uh, referring to any possible damage that can be caused to the unborn baby uh, while mom is pregnant and mom is using alcohol. And with that, I immediately want to say a woman uh, does not need to be an alcoholic or a heavy drinker to have a child with FASD. Mm. So the FASD is basically telling you that the, uh, there was prenatal uh, or uh, pre-birth damage and the damage, we can, I'm sure we will chat more about that, but the most uh, problematic aspect aspect of this is the brain damage. Mm. And that's a very, very important, uh, you know, differentiation that you're giving us today as well. Now, when we talk about damage, like you said, you just alluded to what would we then be referring to? How does alcohol actually affect the unborn baby? You know, we often think about smoking as being something that affects unborn children. We see the smoking, you know, on the cartons there, they used to have these warnings. I don't know if they still do because I don't buy cigarettes, but they used to have those warnings, you know, don't, don't smoke during breastfeeding, but alcohol is incredibly bad for your child. What damage are we talking about here? Yes, um, unfortunately, the reality is that if um, alcohol was to be discovered today, it will actually most probably uh, um, be banned because it's got a severe teratogenic or poisonous effect on the um, unborn fetus, the developing of the cells of the unborn baby. And because the central nervous system or the brain starts developing soon after conception, the brain is the more, most vulnerable organ to the harmful damage of alcohol. So um, anytime during pregnancy, the brain is at risk, but because the um, teratogenic effects of the um, alcohol can affect any of the developing cells of the baby. You quite often find children with FASD uh, presenting with heart problems, eye problems, ear problems, or even skeletal problems, but any other organ can also be affected. Mm. And these are, these are, are quite severe, and this is going to be for life. Will it be for life that they are affected in this way? Correct, yes. Um, we so often talk about children with FASD, but we forget that they grow up to become adults. Hmm. So this is a lifelong condition. Um, uh, of course, we strongly in our organization, the Foundation for Alcohol-Related Research, uh, work with the, uh, the affected individuals, the parents and the caregivers to look at and to find the strengths of the, uh, the individual. So we're not, you know, it's not necessarily only doom and gloom, but mm -hmm. some individuals are so heavily affected that they find it extremely difficult to live independently. And because of the brain damage, you will find um, uh, learning problems, lifelong learning problems. Mm. Um, you will find uh, behavior problems, interpersonal relationship problems, and so forth. So it's a, actually a very, very complex condition. Of course, if there's, uh, the, the child is born with a heart defect, it might be possible to um, you know, do operation or medication or 
things like that. But unfortunately, like you said, the brain damage is is permanent mm. and irreversible. And and what you're also referring to is that this is not just physically affecting a child and then the adult, the child grows up to become an adult, but it also affects you psychologically, I'm sure emotionally in so many different aspects of life. And when we look at FASD, how prevalent is it in South Africa nationally? Do we know, you know, exactly how many people are affected, how many children as well as adults? Because I'm sure at some stage, sometimes people can almost, I would like to say, slip through the system and not be actually diagnosed correctly to say you actually are experiencing maybe behavioral problems or heart condition because you have FASD. I'm sure that there are many cases where children and then they grow up to become adults actually are not diagnosed properly and maybe they treated for other things like maybe hyperactivity or maybe just the heart condition itself. So do we know how prevalent this is nationally? Do we have the statistics on that? Yeah, um, Lauren, you, you said a lot of very, very true things. The reality is that this is a very undiagnosed condition mm. and the awareness, believe it or not, is very, very low still in our country. Mm. Um, our country, unfortunately, um, has the, by far the highest reported FISD rates in the world. So if I say reported, wow. it's based on research. Our organization has done 19 uh, prevalent studies in South Africa already. Um, those studies were done in Gauteng, um, the Northern Cape, Eastern Cape, Western Cape, and the Free State. Mm-hmm. So you can hear, I'm not mentioning provinces like um, KwaZulu-Natal, Mpumalanga, Northwest Province, Limpopo Province, etc. So we don't have an idea what the prevalence rate um, is in those prov- uh, provinces. Mm-hmm. Internationally, the World Health Organization, um, based on research, estimate that the prevalence rate of FASD worldwide is 1,5%, meaning 15 in a, um, a thousand people uh, will have um, of the, uh, FASD. Mm-hmm. And then in South Africa, the prevalence rate is as high as uh, 282 per thousand in some communities, so 28%. Wow. So 28% of the community is affected because women um, use um, alcohol during pregnancy. Um, um, Usually, uh, unknowingly, they um, expose their children to the the alcohol. So it's a really a big, big problem in in South Africa. It is not a um, a condition that you only find among certain cultural group Mm. or um, uh, religious groups or so forth. It is, um, you know, our, we always say in our organization when we do the awareness uh, programs or uh, talk to people about this, any woman who is not is sexually active and not using a contraceptive um, mm. is at risk of having, uh, of being pregnant. And if you're using alcohol during that time, you're putting your child at risk of be, um, uh, having FASD. So it is, like you correctly said, very under uh, underdiagnosed. And mm-hmm. quite often we find, especially in our private clinic, that um, children and adults are being referred to us after they've been um, undergoing treatment for years 
for conditions um, like, for example, um, attention uh, span problems yeah. and, you know, hyperactivity. Please, the listeners mustn't think I'm saying now that everybody with ADHD has got FASD. I'm not saying that. Yeah. It's just part of the signs and symptoms that we find. And quite often these individuals, they've suffered a lot because they haven't been properly diagnosed. Mm. So, yeah. And we find that from all walks of life. Hmm. I love that you mentioned that as well. And that was going to bring me to my next point. Sometimes we think, you know, as we call them social issues, such as maybe gender-based violence, for example, or, or you know, consuming alcohol and, and children born with like FAS or FASD, that these things, you know, they happen in different communities. They don't happen in our community. You know, yes. they happen in that community there. There are actually a lot of um, news articles that I've read about the, the prevalence of FASD and FAS among farm workers, for example. So people then tend to think, oh, well, that's happening there, you know, not in, in our community. But this is not the reality. It is not the reality at all. We can't say that only this happens there. What's not happening maybe in my family or what's not happening in my community. No, not in my hospital down the road because this is a different community. Like you're saying and you're reminding us today, and it's important this is happening and this takes place in many different communities among many different people and different social economic groups, different race groups, different religious groups. And I think that that's so important to hear and to understand. And I wanted to say, you know, there's obviously no indicator really when we say, okay, you are pregnant. Is it that women should like, there's always been the medical belief that abstain from consuming any and all alcohol for the duration of your pregnancy and is that basic the bottom line it's not saying oh you can have one drink every now and then or one you know when you go to the restaurant you used to drinking wine with your family no that'll be fine are we saying we as you know women who are pregnant need to take a responsibility and say I'm abstaining. It's only nine months of my life, but I'm doing this for the benefit of my child and for my family and for myself. Yeah, correct. It's, it's actually longer than nine months because one should actually stop using alcohol when you start planning a pregnancy. So when you stop your um, contraceptive, then is the time to stop um, using alcohol as well because you don't know when you're going to fall pregnant. Mm. So uh, the message is internationally, no alcohol is safe during pregnancy. So like you correctly said, it's safer to abstain. I know there are lots of questions around that and people are pushing us to say, please just give us the safe amount. But the reality is based on research, in South Africa and internationally, no amount of alcohol is safe during pregnancy. I just want to uh, get back to what you said, that you've read um, articles and so, and came across reports of uh, about farm workers. Now, sadly, hmm. that um, the first research that was done on FASD in South Africa was in, in, in 1997 until 2001. And that was done in the Wellington area, and it mostly involved people working or living on farms, also people in town. Mm. So um, it, uh, the first publication was, uh, or first research was done in a wine farming community. Mm. And that created the myth in South Africa that it's only farm workers who are at risk and it's only people who are in, in wine farming areas 
and also people who have been previously exposed to the TOT system. But since then, we've moved on. We've done research, like I said to you, in the other provinces and in cities as well. Hmm. So it is definitely not a, a, only a problem among certain people. You know, the thing about it's not our problem, it's their problem. Yeah. One of the big challenges with FASD is the low risk perception. Mm-hmm. Because because of that, people thinking it's it's not going to happen to me. It will only happen to her or them mm-hmm. or whatever. So people, a woman might think they're not at risk because they in a you know they're a highly educated woman or they're from a higher socioeconomic group, etc. Mm-hmm. And just the mere fact that they think they're not at risk and um, taking risks is also putting them at a higher risk. Thank you so much, Liana, for that and for updating us on that, but also telling us what the truth is about that, because I have myself, as a journalist, read articles about FAS and FASD. I had a good friend who worked in the pediatric ward, actually at a very, very well-established private hospital. And you know, when I visited her sometimes at one stage, I did meet a a child that was diagnosed with FASD. And it was something that it was probably about 15 years ago, but it always impacted me because of what I witnessed and what that child and her mother was going through. And it it was quite intense. And I think that that brings us even to a deeper reality of what a mother experiences when she realizes that she consumed alcohol during her pregnancy and now her child is actually affected. And I got to see that in front of me at that stage and the guilt and the pain that that mom was carrying because she realized there that, you know, what she had done. And even though she herself said she wasn't consuming much alcohol, wasn't a lot of alcohol, her child was affected. And I think that that's probably something that you've encountered as well. It's not that moms then, you know, the child's diagnosed and then they go, oh, well, it's whatever. That's it. There is very real emotions and a lot of psychological impact that you experience as a mom when you realize that there was some things that maybe you did and maybe you thought you were, like you said, Liana, even, you know, thinking I'm at low risk or it doesn't happen here. And then it does. And the impact of that is manifold. And have you seen that and witnessed that as well? And, and that must be quite a difficult road for any parent to walk through as well. Yes, it's devastating. And to, to break that news to um, a, a mom, and the guilt around that, it, 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 it is, it's terrible. And again, um, I'm, I want to say again, um, uh, women do not drink intentionally, whatever we think about that, because of, this is now years of research. I mean, our organization is 25 years old this, uh, this year, and we, we have um, interviewed thousands of women in South Africa. There are various reasons why, why we, women used alcohol during pregnancy. One of it uh, is ignorance. They didn't know about FASD. They didn't know about the harmful effects or they were given incorrect information. You know, we still encounter, especially in our private clinic, we encounter um, a woman who who, would tell us that my my private doctor told me I shouldn't drink alcohol during the first trimester of my pregnancy, but it's fine to drink afterward. Mm. 
Lauren, what is also interesting is that um, one of our, my colleagues did a master's study on, she was looking into the, um, the type of information that is given to um, women in the private sector versus the information about FASD and prenatal alcohol use in the public sector, so the government departments. Mm. It's actually shocking to um, to um, see that the woman in the uh, government sector, the public sector, is getting more information about FASD than the woman in the uh, public sector. Mm. And um, like I mentioned, that um, quite often women who attended, uh, you know, antenatal services with a private doctor or so would tell us that it was never discussed with them. So they're actually very vulnerable. And we also find that um, there's often a lot of blaming and shaming and um, finger pointing to women who's got children with uh, with F- FASD. And one just need to take a step back and ask oneself, why did that woman drink alcohol during um, pregnancy? And what we found through research is that um, basically it's because women drink because they don't know or they didn't know the harmful effects of alcohol and didn't know about FASD. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a lot of stress um, and women drink just to cope. And then believe it or not, pressure from partners, family members, and friends to to drink. Mm. Things like oh, one glass of alcohol, one glass of wine, um, or one glass of champagne cannot harm your baby, it's so, uh, so forth. But yet when the child is born, um, a lot of blame is, like I said, placed on, on the mum, and uh, she carries a very, very heavy burden and consequences for life. I also just want to say, because um, we keep on talking about the harm effects. I know there are most probably listeners who are listening in who might be pregnant and I just want to share this with them. We always say to women who are pregnant and who might have used alcohol during pregnancy, it's never too late to stop drinking alcohol. Um, As soon as you stop using alcohol during pregnancy, you immediately stop the damage that um, can be done to your unborn baby. Hmm. You know, Liana, this has been such an informative conversation as well as such a real human one. I know that you have probably encountered so many different people and their stories and their realities. And I want to say thank you so much for being with me on the show today and also for the incredible work that you're doing at the Foundation for Alcohol-Related Research and the team that's there as well. And for continuing to raise this awareness with us to know what is happening. Even this, I, I reflect on what you shared earlier on that you know, women often and moms and moms-to-be often don't have this information available to them. So my prayer today is that there's been someone that has been listening in who now is more informed because they want to have a child or maybe they are pregnant, they are more informed and they've got this information in their hands and they can say, okay, I understand. And now maybe I can share this with other people that I love and care about as well. And so this is such important information and it's also such important truth. And I want to say thank you, Liana, for being here. It's been really great and again all the best for this incredible work that you're doing thank you lauren if i may if there are anybody who needs support and who just want to chat or whatever you are more than welcome to phone us on 021 686 
46. You do not even need to give your real name. Just give your telephone number um, to Reino and then just say that you would like to chat to me and we will phone you back. But thank you for this opportunity and best of luck to everybody, especially those of um, those ladies who are still planning pregnancy or, or who are pregnant. Mm, awesome. Thank you so much, Liana. And again, the number is 021-686-2646. And you can ask, you know, speak to someone there if you need support or you want more information. Thank you so much, Liana, and take care. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Melissa, it's so good to have you with me. Welcome to the show today. I hope that you are doing well, despite all the challenges that we are not currently having here in the country. How are you doing today? Uh, very well, thank you. And thank you so much for the opportunity to share. It's so great to have you on. Some might recognize your voice, recognize your name as well. I know that you've been on Voice of Change before, but also on K-Pulpit and also on many different radio stations and many different places and platforms where you've shared your story, your personal story as well. And I think that that is, is so powerful when we are talking about something that we see happening around us. And that is, of course, Roe versus Wade, what has just happened in America about abortion. And the thing about this is that people in South Africa think to themselves, well, you know, a lot of people think this is happening, you know, in America and this is happening overseas. But yet we are seeing, and you've probably seen it yourself, the Christian community around the world and globally and here in South Africa as well, responding to the news of what has just happened in America. And, you know, it is actually something that affects a lot of people. A lot of people have been working in this area for many, many years. So, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we have just seen happening at the beginning of the show. I was explaining to everybody what has happened, what Roe versus Wade was all about, how that decision has been overturned almost 40 years later. And it's, it's really a big one. And it does, we have seen people take to social media, share their opinions, share their thoughts. And as Christians, we cannot be untouched by that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts during this time. I'm sure you have been hearing and seeing a lot of things yourself. Um, yeah, it's been uh, a lot of conflicting views on social media. Some people are very aggressive um, in their stance. Um, and yeah, it's it's actually an absolute miracle that this happened in the first place. Um, when um, I saw it, when it happened, I, I just broke down and actually cried for about 20 minutes. I was in so much shock because I never in my lifetime thought that I would see this because of the fact that the world we live in is so incredibly liberal um, and the laws just seem to be becoming more and more liberal. Um, people are becoming more and more liberal in their thinking. Um, abortion is has become such a normal and acceptable thing in society. I mean, I struggle so much just to get into churches and schools to go and share my testimony hmm. because people might be offended by what I say. And um, I am, I, I mean, you know my story and you know my stance. I do not condemn people at all. How can I when I have had an abortion myself? You know, hmm. I, but I try to um, give people the message of hope and healing after an abortion um, through Jesus. So, hmm. Um, you know, it's it's been quite interesting to see how aggressive people are um, and how strongly uh, people feel that they really, really, really do want abortion um, in their in their country or in their state. 
uh, even up to the point of birth. So some people have got really, really strong views on this. There is even a proposal for a bill. I think it's in Florida, but I could be um, I could be wrong. Where they where it was um, uh, proposed a proposed bill to have abortion 28 days after birth. So it's like wow. little bit, little bit, little bit equals a mile down the line. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying with regards to very yeah. liberal laws? So, I mean, in our minds, we think it's unthinkable and hopefully that'll never happen. But in the same breath, um, we also thought that abortion up until birth would never happen. Hmm. And then third trimester abortion became a thing in the state of Illinois. Um, so, then it's it's not actually um, impossible. But what happened with Roe v. Wade being overturned, I mean, in my own thinking and um, my understanding and I suppose lack of faith, I never thought in my lifetime with the way that things are going um, that I would actually see this in my lifetime. It's It's absolutely incredible. People are celebrating mm. um, those people who are obviously um, – uh, not in favor of abortion or celebrating, but there was also some very angry people at the moment. Mm. Sure. So much that you said is so important and so important for us to hear. I worked with gendercide in China for four years and it was all about, you know, the routine abortion of baby girls just because they are female. And of course, the outrage against that was really big. You know, how can we abort children just because they are a particular gender, you know, and also there in countries like that or like in India as well, the children are, you know, they are born and, and oftentimes if they are a girl, they are in inverted commas aborted, but actually they are killed after birth. And there's a huge outrage against that, you know, because, it's not right. And, you know, many, many different groups, even liberal groups going, well, that's wrong because it's against girls. Yet we have another conversation here where we're talking about the same thing, just in a different context. And it's, it's almost quite accepted. Yeah. Uh, so it's so yeah. interesting how there's all these complexities and nuances. And I think, uh, like you said, I think so many people working in this area and particularly groups working in the U.S. to bring this forward and never thinking that it would happen in your lifetime. And it's so interesting to just see all the different reactions, which brings me to thinking, how do we respond now? How do Christian communities respond? Because they are Christians themselves. Many Christians I've seen who are actually upset that this has happened, you know? So how do we respond? We know that this these kind of realities cause a lot of division between people. How can Christian communities respond? Of course, we are in South Africa, but we are not immune to this conversation, not at all. I've seen so many South Africans posting, you know, on social media, being involved in the conversation. And it's important that we know how to respond. How, how do we, you know, what should we be thinking about right now? You know, what should we be really doing? What is our challenge in this time and moving forward as well? You know, I'm sure there are challenges for us and we need to rise up to those challenges. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the important thing for people to realize is that there are places that can help and assist in unplanned pregnancy. Um, but unfortunately, these are not the first go-to um, sort of ways of thinking for people. People uh, immediately think abortion. Um, 
So I'm part of a organi- um, an umbrella organization called Pregnancy Health Network, mm-hmm. and it actually falls under the umbrella of Heartbeat International, which I'm sure you've heard of, is mm-hmm. um, in the US, and it's, it's massive. It's a massive, massive organization that is pro-life. Um, mm-hmm. And I've done my training, and uh, Pregnancy Health Network does a few different training courses. So I am a qualified um, post-abortion counselor, as well as a pregnancy help counselor. And there are many of us all around South Africa. And I mean, Pregnancy Help Network, their like, goal and vision is to have a pregnancy help um, center in every small town and city in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, I do all of my stuff online and I'm not alone. There are some um, more of us who do everything online, which was great because during, you know, lockdown and COVID and all our isolations and all that, we were still able to reach people and to help people. So um, practically, I would say your go-to safest place to go first would be to Google Pregnancy Help Network and to find a center in your area um, and then there are practical things for people who have got a daughter or somebody they know, um, their friend's daughter or whoever, or somebody in your church who is pregnant um, with an unplanned pregnancy and how you can support them. And I mean, the biggest way you can support them is to love them and not to make them feel so deeply, terribly ashamed of this life that they're carrying. Yes, it was an accident and it wasn't planned. I mean, it's already scary enough to be pregnant, to watch your body change Mm. and to think about how painful birth is going to be. How are you going to provide for this child? It's already hard enough. All of these things that a young girl or I mean, any, any age really in an unplanned pregnancy is going through, um, so just to love her, support her, surround her, and especially in the churches, for churches to just embrace um, these women who are going through this, not to encourage it. <laughs> We're not saying, yeah, please go and have unplanned pregnancies. Yeah. But if you find, if you are in one, um, that these girls are not and women are not shamed. And as mm. well with regards to shame, Um, with regards to post-abortive women. I mean, when a woman has a miscarriage, she is surrounded by friends and family who send her flowers and chocolates and sorry Mm. cards and condolences. But for women who have abortions, they they keep it all to themselves. They're not allowed to grieve in a way, according, you know, to uh, Mm. society, because you killed your baby and, it's mm. also in a way meant to be celebrated in, you know, I said that um, in a very sarcastic way, according to the very liberal way of saying things, you know, it's yeah. celebrated that you can choose to have an abortion. So you must celebrate it. So I think for a lot of women as well, while they struggle with grief is why do I not feel happy after my abortion when it was something that was given to me as a, a gift, as a choice to make? Do you know what I'm mm. saying? So. Um, I think practically just loving people and not shaming them is your is your number one thing. And I mean, if we look at Jesus, how he never shamed the woman at the well. He yeah. never shamed the woman caught in adultery. He he loved them. And mm-hmm. that just to love people is so important. 
And this is absolutely true. Just last week, I was having a conversation with someone who said that, you know, they had a child. It, it was not unplanned. They were in a relationship for about seven years and they fell pregnant. But unfortunately, they had a miscarriage and, and she was quite far along. And she says that when she went to the hospital, she was treated very, very differently because she was pregnant and not married, uh, as opposed to the woman that she was there with, you know, that were pregnant in the same ward and they were actually married. And she said, even among the staff at the hospital, there was a level of kind of shame that she began to feel because she was actually treated differently, mm -hmm. even though it wasn't an unplanned pregnancy. It wasn't planned, but it happened. She was in a committed relationship and, you know, things happened and that's that was the case. And she said that even there in in an environment where you, there was supposed to be kind of, uh, you know, just support and just uh, people to be neutral almost. Mm -hmm. It, it wasn't like that. And her experience was very difficult, mm -hmm. she said, and it was many years ago, but she still carries that. And, and just the thoughts that she thinks about that and the shame that she felt was, uh, you know, she, if she had, a, she wanted to bring her, her baby into the world, unfortunately, she had a miscarriage, but she experienced this incredible shame, you know, and even though it, and, and it, isn't it, isn't it so terrible? Like you're saying, it's about mm -hmm. love and it's about support. And yes, not saying, you know, go on and do this and, and have unplanned pregnancies. But yet mm -hmm. I, I also believe just as individuals, but also faith communities, we now need to step up. And we have to step up and say, if we are fighting and we want, you know, women to carry their babies, and even if it's unplanned, we want them to not consider abortion. Many people say we don't want them to consider abortion. Then you need to also then avail yourself to love, to support, and maybe even have facilities. facilities. You need to have practical solutions. I mean, you can't exactly. tell somebody not to do this and then you have no solutions for them. I mean, these people are desperate. Girls and women who go and have an abortion, you must realize how desperate they feel because um, some and maybe even many of them do not want to do this, but they feel so trapped Mm. Um, they may be in, in, in a messy situation. And I mean, like you said, um, your friend that you mentioned who, who had a bad experience in hospital, I mean, her, her story is, is the reality of the world we're living in is that life happens and it's messy. Mm. And I think the, the words you used were one thing led to another and it happened, you know, and yeah. this is, this is, this is the thing. This is what happens in life. Life is messy. We live in a, in a fallen and broken world and, um, and it's, it's not all perfect and we are not sinless <laughs> at all, yeah. you know, and we need to be able to have practical solutions for people. But at the same time, I mean, when, when girls and women contact me, I always say to them, um, it is, it, I mean, the ball is in their court, what they decide to do with the information that's given to them. But mm. none of the roads that you will walk will be an easy way out. There is no easy way out of an unplanned pregnancy, because if you choose to keep your baby and parent your baby, it's going to be really challenging. If mm. you choose to place your baby for adoption, it's going, there's going to be heartache. It's going to be hard in the same way. If you go and have an abortion, you, you are going to 
possibly feel have your feelings of regret and remorse and think of that child and what they could have been and what they would have looked like and all that stuff. So there is no easy way out. And it's important um, that people realize that whatever decision they're going to make, there's going to be challenges along the way. Mm-hmm. Sure. This is such an important reminder to us. And also I love what you said that life is messy because it is. And it's messy for all of us. It's messy for Christians as well. No one is exempt from that, you know, and things happen in life and there are circumstances beyond what we understand, you know, and beyond what what we even can control sometimes. These are realities in life. And I think that the challenge is, and exactly what you have shared with us today, challenges us in our faith communities as well to say, how can we do better? How can we get involved? It's not just about, you know, making people feel good and and standing up in front and preaching sermons. It's also about practically being there for the community that we serve. And that means practically being there for individuals as well and women who are in the situation where they have unplanned pregnancies and maybe even couples, you know, because sometimes single women have unplanned pregnancies, but they're also couples that are together that are just dating. Maybe they're not married, you know, they've been together a while and, and this happens as well. And so this is really a challenge. And in closing today, Melissa, any final thoughts you want to share with us as we continue to just, you know, kind of reflect on what happened with Roe Ro versus Wade. And also as we see all these things happening on social media, is there a way that we can stay out of the aggression and, you know, just step back from that and, and just really reflect on this time and, and be in a place where we think about what does this really mean? I think it's important for people to really just um, pray and and sort of come to their own conclusion about how they feel about abortion and how they feel about all of these things because you know we are unfortunately so influenced by the world we live in um, and we should be influenced by um, you know how how God sees things and how God sees life and um, to really just pray and ask God for that conviction um, and to to just do your own research. And I don't think that keyboard wars are effective ever. Mm. Uh, one thing I've seen is it just offends people, people unfriend each other. It's wars. People don't like you. And then mm. it's a whole big thing. You, you go away feeling so horrible afterwards. So it's not, it's not helpful to, if you are extremely pro-life to jump on the internet and go and, comment on all of your thing, your friends who are pro-choice and, you know, try and change their mind. Because mm. at the end of the day, nobody else can change your mind. I cannot convince somebody that is pro-choice to believe what I believe. Mm. At the end of the day, it is up to God to convict and to pierce their hearts and to convict them on what is true. So, yeah, I do, I see all of this this fighting going on, and it's it's very unfortunate. And I myself have also I have you know done the keyboard wars thing um, mm. a few years ago. I had a very bad experience, and it was because of that that I I, I try not to do that whole like back and forth commenting, and mm. um, it's it's not helpful. And the reality is, you're not going to change that person's mind. Um, but that it doesn't mean you aren't allowed to post, you know, scientific things, um, showing that life begins from conception, um, posting positive things about places of, of help. Um, and, 
and yeah, just just to know your stuff, um, that and to know exactly what an abortion and what an abortion entails scientifically is also very helpful. But not for the sake of keyboard wars, for the sake of you having that knowledge to help people. And helping people in real life is a lot more effective than helping. Uh, or thinking that you're helping by doing keyboard wars. You know what I'm saying? It's not yeah. necessarily that practical. And I, and I can say that because I do a lot of my help online. A lot of what I do is online. Hmm. But still, like meeting people face-to-face, um, impacting your friends, the, the people you live with in your community, that is that is how you're going to bring about change. Mm, absolutely. Love that. Love that perspective. Melissa, thank you so much for being with me today and for sharing, you know, what we needed to hear today and the challenge needing to be accepted by us in the faith communities. So thank you so much and take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. For those who are asking that organization to Google that Melissa spoke about is the Pregnancy Help network get in touch with them if you or someone else that you know is you know considering what to do with an unplanned pregnancy that's pregnancy help network and you know you'll be able to chat with someone have counseling in many different aspects you know and it is very very important to have these networks that we can communicate with the show has been so incredible today as we wrap up children's month june being the whole month to speak about children's rights to speak about what's happening with children to hear the different aspects of you know what it means to be a parent what it means to help others and to consider the difficult conversations like the use of alcohol or what does it mean to be an alcoholic mother like we heard from rosemary you know last week and the week before that a drowning experience that suzanne shared and also now considering what does abortion mean what is my opinion Opinion on this and like Melissa said pray about it seek out the answers for yourself and know what you believe because that's most important know what you believe know what you feel know what God is saying to you and you know as I reflect on children's month I realize right at the beginning of the month we were with Jill Carolison from a father's heart community development out in for Santa Kral. and you know we have such a challenge as people of faith to really step up and do so, so much. And that means supporting faith communities, but also going beyond that to support the women and the couples who have unplanned pregnancies, the people in the communities like for Santa Kral, and to be there for children of alcoholic parents or to be there for parents who themselves are wanting to come into a life of recovery as well. And to be there for families who are struggling with the effects of something like FASD. It's been so great to be with you, so much to reflect on, so much to receive. Don't forget in this life that God is good, that he's always on the throne, that he's here, that he's for you, that he's with you, you and your family. And may your loved ones and you be super, super blessed this evening. May you take care. May God shine his great glory upon you and give you his great peace. Until next week, take care. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.